0: Today's
1: podcast on 10 important smart city technologies, a discussion with the experts is a rebroadcast of a Smart City Digital Council meeting that was held on Jan- on January 14th. Um, without further ado, let's get started with the conversation. Welcome everyone to another meeting of the Smart Cities Digital Transformation Council. I'm Jim Frazier, Vice President of Smart Cities here at ARC. And I'm, I'm joined by three of my esteemed colleagues today, uh, Edward Fiddler, our transportation analyst, uh, Rick Risch, um, who is our energy analyst, and uh, Larry O'Brien, our vice president of, of cybersecurity. Uh, welcome, gentlemen. How are you this morning? Good, and, how are you
2: doing this morning? morning.
1: Uh, all, all right. Well, I believe, uh, gentlemen, and for our uh, viewers today, that uh, you should be seeing uh, the results of a, uh, a poll we sent out about impactful technologies for smart cities. Um, any Laura, you see, you see my screen?
2: Yes, I do. Uh, yeah.
1: So we, th- this is the results of um, a range. I think we had, uh, well over 20 technologies that we pulled on two axes. One is the, the size of the impact and on the, um, uh, X axis, we have the rate of adoption. So we can just go, go through these sequentially. Um, the first number one, which which exceeded all others, and it's in the upper left hand It's in the upper right hand corner for rate of adoption and impact, uh, almost by itself, is lithium lithium ion battery evolution in terms of lower cost, weight, um, lower cost and weight. Uh, I think we we just lost Rick, but that's certainly dramatic in an, in a number of areas in terms of energy storage, um, as well as uh, the lower lower weight needed for um, electric vehicles. Uh, number two in our list, I'll do three of these and then, then we'll go, we'll go go around the uh, the speakers today. Number two on the list is is five G, and five G uh, according to our poll has a rate of adoption in the, um, in the middle, as we know, 5G is coming, but it's rated fairly highly, uh, certainly above the 50% level in terms of impact. And number three, and the, uh, it, we, we pulled blockchain to create trust and secure city supply chains. And that one, the rate of adoption is quite low, and certainly in the lower 40%. And its impact is thought to be in the, um, oh, about the median, about a, f- a 50% level. Um, Larry and Eddie, do you want to comment on on any of these? In particular, maybe the uh, battery evolution?
0: Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll take that as you might as you might guess, Jim. Um, so, hey folks, like Jim said, in the transport uh, in this year at ARC. I'm getting some echo back and forth, folks. I don't know if you have a, a mic and speaker, next to each other. One of you two, um, if so, maybe try to mute. Okay. So yeah, um, like Jim said, I'm the I'm the transport analyst at ARC. So, um, I'll comment on the on the lithium ion battery, um, piece here. So this is something that, you know, ten years ago. Um, we could never have expected this kind of change in in price, in energy density um, for lithium batteries. Um, you know, if you look back even six years ago, uh, EVs were a bit of a pipe dream, right? They were very expensive, super practical. Um, but, you know, that's, that's what cell phones were like in the 90s, right? Um, and so we've seen just in a few years, uh, an order of magnitude of price reduction um, and performance improvement for, for lithium batteries to the point now where um, a regular consumer can buy a, a full range EV, like a Tesla Model 3 um, for the same price as the average new car in America when you consider the cost reductions um, for, for operating cost. Um, and so we're seeing you know millions of drivers, Upgrading, we're seeing uh, commercial fleets, delivery, school buses, refuse trucks—you um, name it—and and it's really taking off this year, last year, and in the next few. Um, so that's that's revolutionary, and it makes sense that that's number one. Oh Jim, I think you're muted. <laughs>
1: Thanks, thanks, Eddie. Yes, I was muted. I thought it might be me with the feedback. Um, Larry, we just talked about um, 5G networks and also blockchain in numbers uh, two and three in the technology. That right. Um, you know, you're very active in that cybersecurity uh, community as well as in uh, smart platforms and networks. Um, can you talk a little bit about the impact of 5G and then, and then the, the opportunities
2: of blockchain? Well, everybody's talking about 5G, as you know, Uh, and we believe uh, we actually just did a study on 5G. I wasn't the analyst that did that, but uh, uh, we have some pretty good research on how soon we expect 5G to be adopted uh, sort of en masse in industrial and critical infrastructure applications. So we are expecting 5G to really start to get rolling, you know, the end of this year uh, into next year, you know, in terms of large scale rollouts. Um, A lot of the stuff that's being deployed in critical infrastructure and manufacturing are privately hosted 5G networks. Obviously, 5G is going to be a big change in terms of, you know, number of sensors that are going to be deployed in different smart city and critical infrastructure applications. Um, So, I think this is going to mean a ton more sensors out there, um, you know, which will make it easier to deploy and hopefully reduce, you know, the cost of of installing these sensors. so it's it's a game changer in a lot of ways, but what concerns us is also cybersecurity, obviously. So 5G, you know, the 5G spec has some security functions built into it, but these aren't um, sufficient cybersecurity provisions for something like a critical infrastructure or, you know, any kind of an industrial or OT level application like you might find in a critical smart city application, right? Um, so I think one of the things that's, probably going to stall faster adoption of 5g is going to be implementation of these cyber security provisions I think in a lot of cases the vendors uh, may be responsible for adding extra layers of cyber security in these privately hosted networks um, and there's also some industry wide initiatives uh, that are calling for you know better cyber security in 5g um, you know especially for things uh, you know like Eddie for uh, automated vehicles and, and, um, you know, traffic management systems and things like that. I mean, a lot of this stuff is going to be deployed on 5G, too. Um, So these are really critical applications, and we need to take a a couple of more steps forward in terms of cybersecurity before these 5G deployments for these types of applications become, you know, safe um, and have the proper, you know, levels of cybersecurity. Um, But it's coming, um, and it is going to start to come this year. And hopefully some of these cybersecurity initiatives that we've seen developing um, across industry and infrastructure uh, will also move forward this year. Um, so you know, we are expecting quite a bit of growth in 5G deployments. Um, and obviously this is not on the consumer side, right? That's gonna be a lot different. Um, for blockchain, um, I've done a little bit of research on blockchain in the supply chain in the food and beverage industry. You know, uh, in the pharmaceutical industry, Uh, you know, so blockchain is basically a secure ledger technology, um, and that can be quite useful um, in applications uh, like food and beverage, right, where you need absolute traceability of a a food product back to the source. Uh, You want to preserve the uh, chain of custody, for example, if you're distributing COVID-19 vaccines. Um, so blockchain has a lot of promise uh, in these types of applications. Sure. Um, and I think also in cybersecurity. Um, but I think, you know, similar to 5G, it's probably going to be a little while before we see, you know, large scale deployment of, of blockchain um, in these types of applications. Most of what I've seen so far is kind of, you know, pilot projects and startup companies and things like that. But this obviously is, is a good technology for preserving. Um, you know that chain of custody you know they can't be broken um, and I'm sure there's probably lots of other applications yeah, too, like yeah, any emerging I, technology yeah I,
1: agreed so we we know five g is on a near term horizon uh, you know block blockchain's a little farther out though it's its impact yeah. could be could be uh, you know quite dramatic um, in fact well,
2: it's here and people are, have been using it yeah
1: you know it could be used heck for uh
2: for uh, voting systems. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, we've talked about that. Yep.
0: Yeah, no, there there are pilots for for all of those things and more, um, and and a lot of them have been, you know, have been used at, at a relatively small scale, but for a long period of time. I mean, uh, you know, the first big blockchain application was Bitcoin for for a store of value, and that's been 11 years. Mm-hmm. It's now worth a trillion dollars, and it's never been um, compromised ever. And you have a trillion-dollar pot of money if you can compromise it, right? Um, so we know blockchain has that that utility, but now to Larry's point, it has to be um, really implemented in each of these these areas. So very exciting.
1: Great. Well, well, well <clears throat> thanks, gentlemen. Let's let's move on to our next uh, three subjects. Let's, let's take them in groups of three. So number four is AI and machine learning advances, which is number four. And that's fair, fairly in, in the middle of rate of adoption and, and impact. We have transitioned to a lower carbon grid, number five, which is also uh, it's um, more impactful than than its rate of adoption, but it's it's so it's on on the median of rate of adoption and it's uh, judged to be uh, you know more than fifty uh, percent impactful. And then we have edge and cloud computing, which also is clustered in, in the same place. So of, of those who were, who were polled for, um, for uh, uh, this survey, all three of those tend to be right in the middle, meaning their rate of adoption is in the middle as, as well as their impact. Um, certainly edge and cloud computing in, in my mind is being adopted um, faster than the um, other scenarios here. We know that there's just a huge amount of edge devices that are out there. Um, AI, machine learning is certainly um, on near-term horizon. Um, the transition to a lower carbon grid is certainly happening. There's no doubt about that, but it uh, may take may take a little while. Um, Edward and, and Larry, you wanna comment on,
2: on any of those? Sure. Uh, (laughs) So, edge and and cloud computing, I mean, I I cover smart city platforms for ERC, uh, which are basically, you know, a single pane of glass or a system of systems that are designed to uh, take information and data from these different siloed functions within a city and different systems and combine them into a single environment so you can look at everything in in a unified way. With a common data model and common visualization, and then make intelligent decisions about what's happening across the city. Um, so, a lot of these smart city platforms, and I would say even industrial systems, are are starting to move to uh, edge and cloud-based environments. Um, they are, you know, in many cases, they're displacing traditional proprietary uh, industrial or OT level systems right now. Um, I think if you look at most of the Smart City platforms that are available today, they are available in some kind of a cloud-hosted fashion. Um, So that is being adopted very rapidly. Um, I think Edge is going to really catch up a lot this year, you know, Edge-based systems. Um, And the topic of Edge and cloud computing and AI and machine learning are pretty closely linked because as we bring um, the control function, you know, closer to the edge, uh, we can also put those analytics functions and advanced, advanced functions down at the edge as well. Um, so that's that's been a big thing over the past year is, is sort of driving AI um, and advanced applications down to the edge level uh, where they're very close uh, to, you know, whatever it is that they're controlling. So you get basically faster and better uh, analytics closer to the edge. Um, So the two of those are are pretty closely linked. Um, You know, we always say that one of the big benefits of a good smart city platform is the ability to plug in these advanced applications on top uh, for data analytics and machine learning and so forth. And and we are starting to see a lot of growth um, in that area now. I think we also see growth in um, AI for cybersecurity. You know, we have a lot of companies talking about deploying AI uh, in their cybersecurity solutions. Um, so I think it's kind of similar to 5G, you know, like this could be a big year uh, for AI and machine learning, especially as it drives closer to the edge.
1: Agreed. And of course, you know, there's a plethora of edge devices out there from, you know, f- uh, facial recognition systems to license plate re- uh, reading cameras um, to mass spectrometers that sniff the air in, in critical areas. Um, our next three Our uh, our number seven is a million volt, high voltage DC transmission lines, low carbon cement for green construction and LIDAR cost improvements for 3D imaging, AVs and other applications. Well, seven and eight, low carbon cement and a million volt DC transmission lines are the two lowest ranked um, options today. In terms of rate of adoption as well as impact, um, arguably they will be impactful, but the rate of adoption for both of those um, is not in the in the very near term. Um, I would like I would like to focus though on number nine, which is is above fifty percent in rate of adoption and is on the about the fifty percent impact scale. Uh, Lidar cost improvements um, are. Are coming very quickly, and the cost is coming down substantially. Particularly as the components all get integrated, so it's no longer is is it a number, a large number of discrete components all packaged together in in one assemblage. um eddie can you talk perhaps a little bit about the impact of lidar on on your area of research, which is uh, transportation?
0: Yeah, yeah, hundred um, percent. So you're you put spot on there, Jim. We're seeing the the price curve um, drop dramatically, much like for lithium-ion batteries, um, like we talked about earlier. Um, and so, yeah, lidar is it's key for autonomous vehicles. That's the crux of it, right? Um, they mostly rely on lidar as well as as standard cameras. Um, and and lidar used to be this this giant spinning contraption on the top of the vehicle, which cost eighty thousand dollars or than fifty thousand um, dollars, but now we're starting to use solid state lidar, and that's a that's a much smaller device, and some of them cost a few hundred. Now that's not exactly the automotive grade; those might be a couple thousand, but um, that's an entire order of magnitude difference, right? So that's that's game changing, um, and so with that, we're already seeing AVs on the roads, right for for campus use for you know, for small kind of fixed path um, use. And I think that's one of our topics coming up. So we'll talk more about that, but, but that's, that's very important. Yeah,
1: I mean, LIDAR, very often many of us simply think of LIDAR as being on an autonomous vehicle or a connected vehicle. Um, but there, because of those cost points are, as they come down, other applications are opening up. In particular, you know, one I'm fond of is, um, you know, within buildings, particularly within an elevator. Uh, cameras can only do so much, but LIDAR can give you a 3D map and they can determine, hey, has a person fallen in the elevator or is incapacitated in the elevator, where a camera might not do that job as as well.
0: Yeah, there's also, if I might add, there's also a privacy uh, component, um, where just like you're saying, Jim, you could you could do 3D imaging, maybe you could do that in a hospital room. Uh, did an elderly patient fall down in the restroom? Um, a camera would not be appropriate, obviously, but 3D LIDAR doesn't identify the person at all. And that could simply alert um, hospital staff to to come over. So,
1: v- Very true. Um, our next three um, are engineered wood for green construction, fireproof engineered wood for green construction, Autonomous vehicles on roads and drone navigation and autonomy. So engineered wood for green construction um, is on the lower end of our rate of adoption in our poll today, as well as lower on the rate of impact. However, not surprisingly, autonomous vehicles on roads and drone navigation and autonomy are well up at the high end of the spectrum on both impact and rate of adoption. Edward, I'll go back to you since you're a transportation analyst. Um, can you talk a little bit about um, well, aut- autonomous vehicles, um, connected vehicles, and perhaps even even a little bit of vehicle electrification?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They those all happen to go together nowadays. There's a there's a term called ACES or CASE. Um, so CASE is connected, autonomous, shared, electric. Um, so to that end, we're seeing we're seeing deployments um, of small scale um, autonomous vehicles on campuses. So on airport um, or, you know, a planned community uh, doing a fixed route, shuttling folks back and forth with no driver. Um, and to Jim's point, they they're usually electric um, and they almost always have a connected um, um, aspect to them as well, connecting to roadside infrastructure, to other vehicles in their in their own fleet, um, just to augment the onboard lidar and, and the camera and radar systems as well. So you have more eyes and um, eyes that can go through buildings, so to speak, with your connected vehicle. Um, so, you know, like a lot of things, um, we're seeing autonomy deployed in, in in circumstances that aren't super glamorous. Um, you know we were all talking about robot cars driving us around um by twenty twenty um, that hasn't happened that 's much harder than we thought, but these smaller scale campus kind of utilitarian applications are happening right now um and and that 's a large market and that 's a lot of um economic surplus to be created so it's it's really interesting very
1: very good i I'm impressed by not only the autonomous vehicle that that assumedly carries persons, but, you know, our other item there is 12 drone navigation and autonomy. And while Rick uh, had to drop off, um, I know he's focused on, you know, airborne, you know, um, vehicles. But we also have um, on the the very near forefront. In fact, you know, quite a few have been deployed. Are, you know, uh, small pizza delivery arguably drones, um, grocery delivery drones that are uh, 3 wheel vehicles and, uh, you know, not far behind are, uh, you know, autonomous um, aircraft. So that's, that's a very mm-hmm. near term.
0: Yeah, and I can comment on, um, on the, the engineered wood, and I'll throw in, I forgot to comment about the, the green transition from earlier. I missed that one as well as the concrete. Um, so, so the wooden concrete, yeah, you know, we have that theme of, of applications that aren't very glamorous, but are actually pretty important. Um, so concrete is, is incredibly carbon intensive. Um, it, you know, carbon manufacturing, um, emits, I think one or 2% of all the world's CO2. Um, that's just concrete.
2: Very heat intensive, I know
0: that. Yeah. Yeah. So low carbon, um carbon cement is is a big deal though it's as we're saying it's relatively slow for adoption um, a little bit less obvious is engineered wood um, and again that's obviously a replacement for certain concrete and steel buildings um, by default you might think that wood is going to be flammable um, but actually engineered wood which is laminated um, hardwood into a into a special product um, is as fireproof as standard concrete and steel buildings. Um, And actually you have an effect of, if there's a fire, it'll char the surface of the wood and make it temporarily fireproof and people can can leave. So it's actually no worse than concrete and steel, uh, but it's far less carbon intensive. It's actually a carbon sink. Um, And we know that you can build skyscrapers of dozens of stories of engineered wood, and it is being done, it's just at a slow scale are at a slow pace. And and what's really fun there is that you know, if you have a 20-story skyscraper made of engineered wood, you've just sunk hundreds of tons of carbon into your building. It's a carbon sink. Um so, all kinds of benefits there and it's, it's really exciting. Uh about the the broader green transition, um just like with lithium ion, um price being reduced dramatically. The same thing has happened with solar and with wind Um, so we're at the point now where a lot of a lot of geographies um, you know depending on the sun and the wind and and local energy prices in many places um, it's actually cheaper to install these completely clean technologies uh, compared to coal which is dying quickly but also even to natural gas Um, so it's becoming pure economics in some places and it's really exciting it's moving quickly, and that's being complemented by the newly affordable lithium-ion batteries, because these these resources are intermittent. Um, so you need some energy storage to to smooth over the gaps um, as well. So, really exciting.
1: That's great, thanks. Um, our next three are virtual reality and augmented reality advances which is square in the middle of of our chart um, at a 50% uh, confidence rate of adoption uh, and 50% confidence rate for for impact. We have robotic advancements is right alongside there at 50% on both those scales. And electric aviation, which is arguably quite a bit lower on rate of adoption and impact. Eddie, we've gone we've gone to you about uh, transportation. We'll go to you again about electric aviation in the absence of of a of Rick today.
2: But um can you talk Who a little bit? Who wants to fly in an electric plane?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can I can take that for sure. Um so of all these technologies, that is um I think close to the earliest stage of adoption. Uh but what, what we're seeing is um small electric you know two seater prop planes are already being used for training so when you train pilots right um and those training schools are saving massive amounts of money on fuel and maintenance um so that's the use case right now it's it's small range um low speed um but but what is being developed um uh, i know that that airbus is doing this a lot of companies are doing this it's actually hybrid planes, just like you have a, a hybrid um, light-duty vehicle on the road. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll have an electric component, which simply complements um, the um, the fossil fuel-powered component to to let it run optimally, um, and you'll have both running together. So that's really where the adoption will come in the in the near future and that can be um medium scale uh with passengers as well so not all the way electric but part way and that's <clears throat> cool
1: well thanks th- thanks eddie hey our next three before uh or um our last four before we open it up to just
2: do we, do we want to talk about augmented reality in vr oh go ahead go ahead go ahead yeah because i've uh well, most of my experience, and this is in the industrial sector, but they are using augmented reality and technologies like Microsoft HoloLens um, to assist um, technicians and maintenance people on the ground to do maintenance tasks. Um, so, if I work in an intelligent building and I have to go perform repairs on a motor or something like that, you know, I could theoretically wear a HoloLens. And it could guide me through the process of making any necessary repairs or changes or what have you. So there, I think there's a lot of promise there in terms of using uh, augmented reality for, for things like maintenance tasks or kind of on the ground, you know, technician and then and, uh, and those types of tasks. Um, and virtual reality, um, I know there's a lot of growth in, uh, you know, very advanced forms of, uh, of 3D simulation also being used for training. Or uh, you know, if you want to run kind of what-if scenarios, um, so that's that's been taken off actually for a while now um, in the industrial sector, and I think we're going to start to see an uptick uh, in in adoption of this technology in the smart cities sector as well. Um, and this is it's already kind of a mature technology in terms of you know it's it's been used in simulation for for many years now. Um, and I know a lot of the suppliers have been working on augmented reality-based solutions for for things like maintenance and um, you know, plant floor. Well, in this case, it would be, you know, out in the built environment or, you know, in a water treatment facility, for example, or a power distribution center. Um, you know, we talk about smart cities, but a lot of these applications that exist within smart cities, like power transmission and distribution and water wastewater treatment and so forth, are. Pretty firmly, you know, on, on the industrial side, and are, and are served by um, industrial suppliers. So, so I think this technology is going to come from that sector and, and gradually get adopted uh, in other sectors, and, like building automation and stuff. <clears throat> Indeed, th- th- thanks, Larry.
1: Um, our last four are cybersecurity, smart city platforms, pandemic management systems, and GIS. Interestingly, um, let me do these out of order. Pandemic management solutions, the rate of adoption is quite high, but the impact is less, less than, um, it's below the 50% line. GIS similarly has a large rate of adoption, an even larger rate of adoption than pandemic management systems, and, but its impact is only slightly higher than that of, of pandemic management systems. However, cybersecurity and smart city platforms, number 16 and 17, both have among the highest impact in terms of deployment and their rate of adoption is still relatively low in our poll. Uh, Larry, I understand you've done quite a bit of work in cybersecurity and smart city platforms. Um, Yeah. (laughs) can, Can you comment on both of
2: those? Yeah, so uh, smart city platforms are kind of a nascent market, right? Um, Up until now, most big cities, at least in the US, it's a little bit different, I think, when you look overseas, but a lot of the focus has been on deploying these kind of siloed systems for specific applications. Um, A lot of the cities don't yet see the value in having a holistic view of all the city's operations on a single pane of glass um and there you know and a lot of what we've been doing at arc is trying to sort of evangelize that value because there is a lot of value there in terms of uh keeping the city resilient uh you know avoiding unplanned interruptions in services or operations because what happens in one city system affects what happens in another city system a lot of times right so if you have an interruption in in the power for example in, in power transmission and distribution that's going to affect a lot of critical services um, if you're in the middle of an extreme weather event like a hurricane right that's obviously going to put a lot of stress on your uh, stormwater management systems and, and things like that uh, which is going to have an effect on your traffic management systems it's going to have an effect on emergency response systems um So systems within a city don't operate within a vacuum. You know, what happens in that system will have an impact on what happens in other systems. And I think a lot of cities and communities don't really understand that interrelationship. And and what a smart city platform does is give you that, you know, unified, holistic view of of everything that's going on and how how it might affect other things uh, that are happening in the city as well. Um, Well, I mean, arguably, Larry, you know, the smart
1: city platform really is the foundation for almost all of these that that I see here um it's it also underpins not only not only these technologies but also sustainability resilience yeah and and it helps it really is a foundation and a facilitator of interoperability and you know de silo absolutely all these different you know applications and departments that frankly today don't speak to each other
2: right we have a so in addition to siloed systems, we have siloed organizations, we have kind of siloed mentalities. You know, this department doesn't want to talk to the other department. And in a lot of cases, they're direct competitors uh for city budget money and things like that. Yeah. Um so a lot of this is a cultural they're issue. They're turf. Yeah, yeah, a lot of it's a cultural issue. We kind of have to break down these silos if you want cities to perform better. And I think the one thing that's really brought this out is COVID 19 because uh a lot of cities have found that you know if we want to manage this pandemic, we have to consolidate data from a bunch of different sources, right? Uh, you know, we have emergency response data, we have publicly available, uh, you know, like CDC data. Uh, you know, we have uh, uh, local level kind of Department of Health data and, and data from hospitals and. So all these different data sources have to be combined if you want to get a real view of what's happening with the pandemic. And, and what we've seen is a lot of end users have actually invested in smart city platforms and they've increased their digital transformation efforts. Uh, a, a lot of it has to do with, we got to manage this pandemic. You know, We need a way to get all this different data from these different sources and put it together and try and make some kind of sense out of it um, so we can mount a, a better response to this pandemic. So. Um, in some ways, that's, that's accelerated digital transformation and adoption of these platforms. Well, it's important, uh, you know, L- Larry,
1: you bring up digital transformation, and, you know, there, there really are three pillars to digital transformation. And the first is the technologies, as we've discussed here today. The second pillar is the, is the user's um, business, uh, is, is um, modifying your business processes to take advantage of, of all these new tools Mm -hmm. third is probably the most difficult. It's getting your culture aligned with those new processes and that new technology. And that takes an an awful lot of retraining. These technologies don't just work themselves. A human needs to be on the other end of the wire in
2: most cases. And that's why we look at that triad of people, processes, and technology. So... You can buy a new technology, but if you don't train your people, and you don't put in the proper work processes to use that technology, you won't get the benefit out of that technology. Um, and one thing that's interesting about Smart City Platforms is that you, it makes it a lot easier to implement these kind of standard operating procedures and, and standard workflows uh, across, the, you know, across the organization. So that actually, you know, they will actually make things easier from, from that perspective. But yeah, like you said, you still have to train the people.
1: Agreed. Um, well, we've been at it for over half an hour, and we've reviewed um, a number of technologies here. Uh, this is ARC's research into the top technologies for smart cities, and very shortly we will be um, we'll be having a release about the top ten technologies, which will uh, be drawn from this list and some other research that we we have conducted. Um, so anyone on this call will be receiving a uh, that information very shortly. Uh, I'd like to thank Eddie and, and uh, Larry today. Um, are there any closing comments you'd like to make about um, about the top technologies for smart cities and and, and uh, maybe in uh, maybe you want to comment on smart cities evolution um, in general?
2: Well, I would say if you want to learn more about a lot of these topics, uh, attend our forum, right? We, we have some pretty deep dive presentations on uh, smart city platforms and cybersecurity in smart cities, which is something we didn't get much into here today. But um, it's a very important topic, uh, especially given the news with, you know, the solar Winds hack and, and things like that. Um, these things affect the OT level uh, and not just in power plants, right? It, it's also a big threat to uh, the built environment. Um, pretty much any smart city system. So, uh, you know, I would recommend, you know, I, I think we have some information about forum sign up uh, on the DTC site, right, Jim?
1: We do. Uh, remember, Larry,
2: this is a smart city
1: DTC uh, monthly meeting. Yep. So let me repeat that, uh, that offer from ARC Advisory Group. Um, you know, ARC Advisory Group does have four annual forums. They had been face to face around the world. This year, of course, they're virtual. Uh, Our our Orlando Forum is typically in excess of a 1,000 people, senior executives, uh, directors, vice presidents, and and, and above. Uh, This year, it is virtual, and it's spread out over two weeks, the first two weeks of February. In the second week, on February 16th and 17th, we are holding a Smart City Forum of four 90-minute sessions per day on a range of Smart City topics. And if you are a member, if you become a member of our free Smart City Digital Transformation Council, you are eligible for a free ticket. Not only to our Smart City Forum, but to our industry forum the preceding week that has uh, three days of four parallel tracks of of technology sessions. Um, So feel free if you are an end user of technology and you would like to join us for the Smart City Forum, feel free to reach out to Edward. Larry, myself, or find us on social media. The um the sign up form is is available there. You can also find it on arcweb.com. Simply select the Digital Transformation Council option and the tracks and the sessions that you'd like to attend and uh, we'll get you registered. So thanks Larry for that uh reminder. No problem. Yep. So we um
2: it's all I'm working on these days, so <laughs> Uh-huh.
1: So we, um, we, we urge you to invite, you know, we do these uh, typically every month, sometimes bi-weekly. Uh, we do have uh, another Smart City Digital Transformation Council meeting in two weeks. It'll be on the subject of applying the IEEE Smart City Planning Standard, meaning how to define your user needs, who's a stakeholder, and how do you create an actionable list of measurable functional requirements. So we'll be having that in two weeks, um, and then we will have our forum. So feel free to invite your end-user um, colleagues to our, to the, these meetings, and hopefully we'll see you at our Smart City Forum uh, on February 16th and 17th. Thanks, Eddie, Larry, and thanks, Rick, and uh, we'll see you next time. Take care.
2: Thank you. See you next time.
0: Take care.